Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. It's been 3,268 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 349 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar confirmed our assessment that Russia's so-called large-scale offensive has begun and is not the shock and awe blitzkrieg that many expected. We assess there remains a significant chance the Russian Federation will launch new offensives in one or more operational direction before February 24th. Second, We maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin has escalated due to statements by state Duma deputies. We maintain that the political distraction benefits Russian President Vladimir Putin the most. Third, We maintain that the battle for the control of Bakhmut has reached a critical phase with the addition of Russian forces to the Axis and the ongoing attempt to create a technical encirclement. Fourth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Fifth, The RAND Corporation agreed with our assessment that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, while we maintain the exception for the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective. Seventh, we assess that severe weather in the Black Sea and the Rostov-on-Don region of Russia, which caused property damage and power outages in Sevastopol, has delayed the next Russian punitive missile strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Eighth, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Ninth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Tenth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eleventh, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine 
and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible, despite contrary claims from Ukrainian and Polish officials. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Michael Kaufman, director of Russian studies at the Center for a New American Security, confirmed our assessment that the large-scale Russian offensive has started in Ukraine and shares our assessment that Russia will likely attempt to recapture Lyman by advancing from Kremina. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Novoselivsk was shelled throughout the day. A Ukrainian source reported positional fighting in Kuzemivka, with Russian forces attempting to advance on Novoselivsk with two tanks near the train station. There were no reliable reports of ground fighting from either combatant from Ploshanka to Chervonopopivka, with Russia and Ukraine exchanging significant artillery fire along the axis. In the Kremina operational area, there was heavy fighting between squads and platoons west, southwest, and south of the settlement, including in the Serebriansky woods. Ukrainian sources reported that Russian forces could not advance, and Russian sources claimed Ukrainians were being pushed back. The truth likely lies in the middle, with the fight swinging back and forth considering the GSAFU reported the Kuzmina area was shelled. In the Lysychansk operational area, we sincerely thank the GSAFU for sharing a video of Ukrainian troops standing in Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no sounds of fighting or artillery. This puts to rest claims by Russian sources, including mercenaries with Rybar, who repeated the false claim today. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai reported that Russian forces continued to attack Ukrainian positions. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Vertnokomyanskya and Spirna without success. In the Solidar operational area, the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade didn't have to wait long for Russian forces to launch an attack in their direction. Russian troops tried to advance on Vasyukivka and Vesele without success. There were multiple reports that Russian troops and PMC Wagner mercenaries suffered from communication and coordination failures during their attempted advance. The Russian MOD took credit for another Wagner advance, claiming that, quote, volunteers of the assault detachments, end quote, supported and in coordination with Russian forces captured Nikolaevka, which was captured by PMC Wagner last week. Wagner's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin responded to the Russian MOD claim in a most unusual way. We'll talk about it in a moment. But first, heavy fighting for control of Krasnohora continued, with PMC Wagner stating there was no progress. The Russian MOD threw more reserve forces at eastern Bakhmut, where the situation is deteriorating and house-to-house fighting has started. Composite forces from Russia and PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Paraskovivka, with no significant gains reported. In eastern Bakhmut, Russian forces were pushing into the residential areas east of the Bakhmutovka River. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces will need to dedicate significant reinforcements in this area or retreat to the river's west bank. <laughs> 
PMC Wagner also claimed to have made advances in the southern part of Bakhmut from Opitne. Suppose for a moment that you're Yevgeny Prigozhin, and a close ally was critically wounded in a botched assassination attempt, possibly by the FSB. The State Duma is hinting that, quote, Turbo patriots are a threat to national security without mentioning your name but describing you perfectly, and the Ministry of Defense keeps taking credit for your mercenaries' work. What do you do? What Prigozhin did was release a video of himself in a PMC Wagner Su-24 multi-role fighter plane taxiing down a runway, claiming he flew a combat sortie over Bakhmut as the combat navigator. The, the head of PMC Wagner wants to make sure you know he doesn't hide in bunkers. Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, Heavy fighting continued west of Klishivka and south of Ivanivske. Mercenaries with War Gonzo claim PMC Wagner mercenaries were within one kilometer of the Ukrainian T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, from Kostyantanivka. PMC Wagner didn't explicitly deny War Gonzo's claim, but stated there had been no gains toward Ivanivske. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, there was a short-lived burst of activity with the Russian 1st Army Corps launching attacks in multiple directions. Russian troops trying to advance on Avdiivka from Vesele, well, technically from the Donetsk International Airport, advancing between Spartak and Opitne without success. Fighting was positional, but, quote, fierce, according to a Ukrainian source. There were attempts to advance from Opitne in the direction of Sieverne, as well as an attempt to advance further from parts of Vodiana. None of the attacks were successful. Elements of the 1st Army Corps made new attempts to advance on Pervomaiske and the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, and still couldn't move the line of conflict. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces with the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka without success. In Marinka itself, Russian troops are attempting to advance into the city center from the south. However, despite repeated claims that there aren't any Ukrainian forces in the center of Marinka, Russian troops have a problem. You see, all the Ukrainian troops in the city's center have made it impossible for Russian troops to enter the area. Russian forces renewed attempts to advance on Pobida, also without success. In the Ukhladar operational area, Russian forces renewed attacks on Novomikhailivka. The Russian MOD claimed that Russian units inflicted heavy casualties on Ukrainian forces near Ukhladar, which was wishful thinking. A series of videos and photos have been published, one extremely graphic, showing up to 30 main battle tanks and infantry fighting vehicles destroyed. One photo showed 12 MBTs and IFVs charred in a tight group, representing a completely destroyed Russian tank company. The loss of 30 vehicles is the equivalent of a fully staffed armored battalion, wiped out in a day. Maybe we should be revisiting who is inflicting heavy casualties on whom. Insurgents in Mariupol reported significant troop movements throughout the city. A convoy of armored vehicles and trucks carrying ammunition was headed toward Berdyansk, 
while a second convoy traveled northwest toward Polochi in Zaporizhia. After a fratricide incident between drunk Russian troops in Mariupol on February 5th, Russian occupation officials now forbid stores to sell alcohol to Russian troops, which will go over super well. There is no information on how many soldiers were involved in the original incident. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia, where the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged. So, continuing on to the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Russian Black Sea fleet only had one warship on patrol. This was likely caused by severe weather that moved through the area, with near-hurricane-force winds ripping into western Crimea. Power was knocked out in parts of Sevastopol and Simferopol, and in Sevastopol officials reported three homes had their roofs torn off. In Mykolaiv, Ochakiv was struck by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, knocking out power in the rayon. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces continued mutual shelling across the Dnipro River. In the city of Kherson, a school was shelled, damaging the gym. Of the 151 educational institutions in Kherson, 81 of them have been shelled by Russian forces since November 11th. OCS reported that two civilian boats used by Russian DRG forces were destroyed near the mouth of the Dnipro River. On the left bank of the Dnipro, Russian-occupied Kochovka, Novokochovka, and Holopristan were shelled. An electrical substation was damaged in Novokochovka, leaving the rayon without power. In Dnipropetrovsk, Markhanets was hit by 48 Russian artillery shells, which damaged the water pumping station. Water was knocked out to 60,000 households due to the attack. Speaking of knocked out, let's talk about Russian mobilization. More senior Russian officers were killed in action in Ukraine. Colonel Sergei Polyakov, brigade commander of the 14th Separate Special Purpose Brigade, Spetsnaz, main intelligence department of the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Russia, or GRU, from Habarovsk, was killed on February 3rd, according to his friends and relatives on social media. Polyakov was the 53rd Russian general killed and the 1,741st officer killed in action since February 24, 2022. Retired Russian Major General Dmitry Ulyanov was also killed in Ukraine, he retired from the Russian military under unusual circumstances and was responsible for all the Mobik troops deployed from Tatarstan. He was the former commander. He was the former commander of the 98th Air Force. He is the 11th Russian general confirmed killed in action since February 4, 2022. The GSAFU reported that on February 3rd, 600 Russian refuseniks were shipped back to the Russian Federation from occupied Luhansk to face administrative or criminal proceedings. 
With a dwindling number of male convicts willing to join Russian or private military company penal units, the Russians have turned to the women. At the Snezhny Penal Colony, 50 women were recruited and sent to the Russian Federation, the old-school pre-2014 Russian Federation, for military training. On September 19th, we shared a video from Volodarka, 100 kilometers south of Kiev, showing camels happily eating grass on the side of the road. We also revisited the story in our Looking Back episode on January 7th. We had no idea that the joke that followed would end up being prophetic. To refresh your memory, quote, Puzzled drivers stopped and took photos and videos of a herd of camels grazing on the side of the road. We're not sure if they escaped from a NATO biolab researching the development of winter combat camels that only spit at Russian soldiers, the circus is coming to town, or if a camel rancher had their herd escape. They all appeared well-fed and happy to ignore the gawkers while munching on Ukrainian grass. We have so many questions. End quote. We've already reported two incidents that left one Russian dead and another injured, in a new video, another Russian man is killed. By a camel. The surveillance video shows a camel in Russia just being a camel in the snow. A Russian man walks up and sucker punches the camel in its face. Why? A camel is basically a desert moose, only slightly bigger, slightly heavier, and with a few more teeth. Camels also apparently have a bite force of about 400 psi which the camel in the video demonstrates when it grabs the head of a grown man in its mouth and shakes him like a ragdoll. It gets, it gets so much worse after that. The video of the Bactrian camel neutralizing the man is graphic, and some people may find it disturbing. Obviously, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. To be clear, Winter Combat Camels was 100% a joke when we wrote it. We have no knowledge of NATO biolabs developing genetically engineered winter combat critters of any kind in Ukraine. And we can only say that real life is stranger than fiction. Maybe also General Zaluzhny should consider just a couple regular old camels. In economic news, the ruble held steady with an exchange rate of 71 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices climbed upward, with WTI crude moving to $76 a barrel and Brent up slightly to $82. Russian Ural's crude dropped to an official price of $52 a barrel, with the new, with the new price cap limit of $45 a barrel now in effect. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market jumped to $2.43 a gallon, or $0.64 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed, with March 2023 advancing to €58 Euros per megawatt hour and April 2023 futures at €59. Euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to $7.45 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? 
Download the Google News app and make Mail Content News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.